0: What a privilege it is for us to be here together today, a privilege to come before a holy God, the God of heaven, and be in his presence and honor him in the way that we are attempting to do. Thank you for being here, if you're visiting with us especially, to enjoy this exalted time a privilege together where we can honor the one who loves us so much and gave his son to die for us. Our theme this year at Eastside is about prayer. We've used a verse from Isaiah that Jesus quoted in the New Testament where God says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We're focusing on praying as God's people, on making this congregation a house of prayer and, and increasing more and more so all of the time. We've talked this year already about the one to whom we pray, the need to, to, to pray to him, the needs that we have, and how he can help us in everything that's good. This morning we want to continue in thinking about praying in faith that is based upon God's word. In the book of Mark uh, chapter 11, which is part of our reading, uh, if you're following along in our reading plan for this year, Mark chapter 11 is part of our reading this last week. Jesus had cursed a fig tree and the next day the disciples noticed that it has died and dried up from the roots and they're amazed at that and Jesus is explaining to them the power of their requests to God when he says in Mark 11 and verse 24, I say to you that whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. Believe that you will receive them and you will have them. In, Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 22, in Matthew's account of this same incident, Matthew says, Jesus saying, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. God expects us to pray in faith. And he tends to grant requests that are prayed in faith. In the book of James, James chapter 1 and verse 6, James instructs us as we pray for wisdom, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If we don't ask in faith, we can't expect to receive anything. If we, if we don't ask believing that God wants to give it and that it's something in accordance with his will and that he has the power to give it and that he will give it, we're asking in vain. Don't expect to receive anything. So faith is critical to empowering our prayers, to making them effective. Where does faith come from? If we run around the room this morning and I pointed to any one of the adults here, I expect that 99.9% of you would answer that question right away by saying, well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Everybody knows that, right? Romans 10, 17. But have you ever thought of this connection between praying in faith and where your faith comes from? It comes from the Word of God. So, the obvious necessary implication there is that if your faith comes from hearing the Word of God, and you're supposed to pray in faith, then your prayers are supposed to be based on the Word of God. Pretty simple, right? All right, that's the sermon. I'm going to sit down now. <laughs> but that is the point of today. One of the things that we're trying to do in our reading uh, here at Eastside, those who are following our reading plan, is what's been suggested by the elders that when we read these passages through the week, that we think about how we can pray about these passages. Is there a promise in here that God has given us? Is there something that happened in the text as there has been in the Gospel of Mark this last couple of weeks? Lots of things happen and you see people's faith and you see shortcomings and and you see how Jesus deals with folks and all of that and there are just all kinds of things to pray about in, in the text of Mark even that we've looked at recently. We will find our prayer lives invigorated and empowered if we will take this approach to prayer. That I'm praying on something that I can find a basis for in the Word of God. That's what we need to learn and want to learn this morning. A prayer of faith is a prayer that's founded on the truths of God's Word. Elijah prayed a prayer of faith. In fact, he prayed more than one for sure. In James chapter 5 and verse 15, James instructs us to pray for the sick. He says that the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Elijah's prayer is plainly an example of a prayer of faith. And James goes on to tell us then about Elijah as a man of prayer. Verse 16, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know what? We can pray for one another because the Bible says to do it. We can pray for one another's healing, physical and spiritual healing, because the Bible says to do it. There's a basis for doing that. But go on. Notice, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I believe that if if righteous people pray fervently, their prayers become extraordinarily effective. Elijah was a man like nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a man of prayer. He prayed in earnest and no doubt in faith, and his prayer was answered. It didn't rain when he prayed for it not to rain. And then when he prayed for it later on to rain, it rained. Elijah's prayers were based on God's word. One of the things we were studying just this morning in our foundations classes is uh, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, in chapter 28, 27 and 28, you have these blessings and curses. And one of the curses that God had pronounced upon the nation of Israel if they didn't obey him is that he would withhold the rain. And then you come to uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 35. And notice, this is the dedication of the temple, the dedication of the temple that Solomon has built. And and Solomon is uh, addressing God. And he says, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against you, When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk, and sin reign on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So these two times at least and other times we can look at in the Old Testament the Word of God in Scripture says that God would withhold the rain if his people didn't obey. And the Word of God, through Solomon in this text, says that God would send the rain if his people turned and repented. So when we come to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, first of all in 1 Kings 17, we're introduced to elijah the tishbite he just comes on the scene very suddenly we don't have a sort of a warm up to it he just appears in the text without a whole lot of explanation but we get very quickly that he's a man of god he's described as elijah the tishbite of the inhabitants of gilead and he goes against king ahab who is a horrible king and has a horrible wife and is leading god's people astray into worshiping baal and thing and he says to ahab As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. I I do not know what God had specifically told Elijah to say. I'm going on a a fairly good assumption that Elijah is saying exactly what God told him to say. But we don't have recorded that. We don't have recorded the word of the Lord came to Elijah and God said, Elijah, say this. But what we do know is Moses had said there would be no rain if my people sinned, if God's people sinned. Solomon had said, God's going to take away the rain if you're sinners and he'll give it back when you repent. We've learned In James 5, that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. What did he base that on? What Moses said, what Solomon said, probably what God had told him just a few minutes before, but besides that, he bases it on God's word. Elijah's prayer resulted in the rain being stopped. There had been no rain in the land when we come to chapter 17 and verse 7. Then we come to chapter 18. It came to pass, in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain. This is after the rain has been withheld. I will send rain. In 1 Kings chapter 18, after Elijah's contest with the prophets of Baal, Elijah pronounces that the rain will come back. He says to Ahab in verse 41, Go up, eat and drink. For there is the sound of the abundance of rain. And then in verse 42, Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed down to the ground with his face between his knees. He's praying. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time, this is the seventh time he's prayed, that there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising up out of the sea. Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. And in verse 45, it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and the clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. It's a familiar story to us. Obviously, I'm just hitting a few highlights. But you see the point, don't you? We think, wow, that is incredible that Elijah just prayed for it not to rain and snap. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And it's incredible that he could just pray again and this storm comes up and there's heavy rain just almost as soon as he gets done praying. Do you remember what James said? Elijah was a man with like nature as ours. He's like you and me. He's praying, and these things, incredible things happen because he's praying in faith based on God's word. God said this would happen under these circumstances. Elijah's praying that it would be so in that particular circumstance, and God makes it so. There is so much power in praying a prayer That is founded squarely on what God has said in his word. That kind of prayer is a prayer of faith. We could say the same when we look at prayers of men like David and Daniel and Nehemiah. Really many, many others as well throughout biblical history. People who prayed in faith that was based on the word of God. Many people think about uh, David and his tremendous faith in God, his pull with God, if you will, the influence that he had with God. David prayed a prayer in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He had just been told by God that God would, from the fruit of David's loins, bring up a king who'd reign forever, one of his sons. Of course, is the Christ. David prays a prayer, Second Samuel seven and verse twenty-seven. You, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, "I will build you a house." Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord, your God, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing let the house of your servant be blessed forever. What what sort of boldness, what sort of thing got in David's mind that he could pray to the God of heaven that his house, his kingly house, his dynasty, would continue forever? You say, well, that's mighty bold. That's mighty bold. He's, he's, He's a little bit, thinks a lot of himself, doesn't he? No, he just believes God. God had just told him his house would continue forever. That there would be one who'd be raised up from his seed to sit on the throne of David forever. David just praying, let that be so. We come to Daniel. A lot of people, when, you think about, when we think about Daniel, if I were to ask you a prayer that he prayed for deliverance, we'd probably think of what he was doing in the lion's den uh, when he got thrown in there. And uh, there is some indication that he was, in in fact, praying, although the text doesn't just come out and say that. But I want you to notice a later time in Daniel's life. This is after 70 years of captivity have been accomplished. Daniel is an old man by this time. Um, And he's a contemporary with a, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is older than Daniel and has probably died by this time, but Jeremiah had been prophesying in Judah and Jerusalem all during the uh, last days of the kingdom of Judah before the Babylonians took, took it and destroyed Jerusalem and took away captives. Jeremiah had been prophesying through all that time. In Jeremiah 29 in verse 10, look at Jeremiah 29 in verse 10. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That verse is often kind of removed from its context and put on plaques and on memes, uh, social media nowadays, but it does express truly God's spirit towards his people then, and I believe even towards his people now, that God will bless us and give us hope when we return to him. That's what he's telling Jeremiah. Jeremiah. After these 70 years, I'm going to bring you back. You will seek me and find me me when you search for me with all your heart, verse 13 says. Then go ahead to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Again, near the end of Daniel's life, Darius is now king. The, uh, The Medes and Persians have overrun the Babylonians. And in the first year of the reign of Darius, Daniel 9 and verse 2 says, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And from that point, uh, for about the next 20 verses, Daniel prays this amazing prayer, basically calling upon God to let his people go home. And when Daniel gets finished praying the prayer... Gabriel shows up and says, Man of God, (laughs) your prayer is being answered before the words came out of your mouth. That's really something. Here are these people who have been captive all these years. Almost all of Daniel's life he'd been in captivity. But he reads in Jeremiah that God said, After 70 years, I'm going to let you go back. And Daniel prays thus with such confidence and his confidence was well-founded. For the Lord sends to him an angel and says, it's going to happen, just as you've requested and just as I've said. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was one of those captives that got to go back some years later. He was, at the beginning of his story, still in, uh, among the captives of Babylon, although he was serving a king in his court. Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8 when he hears that God's people have gone back but they're really not prospering in the land and there's danger there and Jerusalem has not been rebuilt. The walls are still falling down. So Nehemiah prays a prayer to God. In the middle of that prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8, Nehemiah says, Remember I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying... If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast to the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather you from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. If you want to look at where Moses said that, he said it in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. Moses told the children of Israel right before they enter the promised land, He told them that the Lord will bring you to the land which your fathers possess and prosper you and multiply you there after your captivity. Nehemiah is praying a prayer based on the word of God. Somebody might say, Well, Steve, these men found passages that obviously applied particularly to their situations. And they prayed based on those promises and statements of God in his word. What I'm telling you this morning is if you'll read through your New Testament, you will find all kinds of statements in God's word and promises that apply specifically to your situation, whatever it is, to your needs, to your problems, to the things that you need help with, to the things that others in your life need. Things regarding God's kingdom and how to forward it and how to work to achieve what he wants us to achieve. The well-being, physical well-being and spiritual well-being of yourself and others. So many statements in the New Testament regarding all of those things and many, many more we will find specific things that apply to our situations constantly. And we can pray those things in faith. Because what God really wants from us is two-way communication. He wants us to listen when he communicates, and he will respond when we communicate. If we turn away our ears from hearing his word, the Bible says even our prayers are an abomination to him. He doesn't want to hear from us if we don't want to hear from him. But if we're willing to listen to him, he's willing to listen to us. I've noticed in times past, and I'm sure you have too, that when Jacob saw the ladder stretched down from heaven, the angels weren't just coming down, they were going back up. There are blessings coming down. There are requests going up. God is communicating with his covenant people and caring for them. Two-way communication is responsive. When God says something to us, then we would want to say something in return. We hear God in the pages of the Bible, his word, he hears us in prayer. Bible reading and prayer, they can be distinct activities, obviously but combining them to make a dialogue between yourself and God is very beneficial and very beautiful. In Psalm 119 and verse 26, the psalmist there, in, in writing the 119th Psalm, is writing all about God's Word, of course. He writes about its effect upon us, our relationship to it. But as you go through, you'll notice he, he prays a lot. There are a lot of short prayers or statements about prayer in the 119th Psalm. Psalm 119 and in uh, verse 26, I have declared my ways and you answered me, teach me your statutes. Right in the middle of talking about how great God's word is, how we need to rely on it, how we need it for everything, and he turns to God and says, now I, I, I've, asked, I've asked of you, <laughs> I, I've, and you answered me. He, he's, he's talking to God. God is talking to him. They're communicating with one another in this way. Two-way communication is responsive. Responding to God in prayer can involve a lot of things. Asking God a question, does this apply to me? How does it apply to me? Does this mean what I think it means? How is this scripture related to other scriptures? Praying for wisdom in discerning God's word as you go through scripture. Request for understanding. Psalm 119 and verse 34. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. That's a prayer. He's talking to God now. Give me understanding, and I'll do what you said. I just want to understand it. What a great prayer to pray anytime you're studying the Bible. Just help me understand what this means so that I can do it. Verse 27 of Psalm 119, make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate, meditate on your wonderful works. Psalm 119, verse 169, let, me cry, let my cry come before you, O Lord, give me understanding according to your word. He's praying and praying and praying for understanding. He prays in thanks when he realizes things that God has done for him or is doing for him not just in the physical world, but especially through the Word. When we come to a realization in God's Word, oh, I can't... Even as Wayne was talking about this morning in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, wow, what God has done for us. What a way to approach taking the Lord's Supper, to realize while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to see the connection between the shedding of His blood, the making of our holiness... In the grace of God. How do we thank him for such an. Undescribable gift. Hearts overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And you see this. Again. Throughout scripture. Certainly. In the 119th Psalm. Psalm 119 in verse 7. I will praise you. With uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments. How great. God's judgments are in verse 76 he'll say let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant in verse 164 he'll say seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments God's word is so good so pure so true and we thank him for that and in verse 62 at midnight I will rise to give you thanks because your righteous judgments, I just picture the psalmist waking up like I almost always do in the middle of the night. Okay, what are you going to do, Steve? You know, praying always one of the things on the top of my list. What can you pray about? Thank God for what's in His Word. Start with that. That's what the psalmist did. I arise at midnight and I thank God for your righteous for His righteous judgments. ask for help with application. This is where we we really need God's help as we read his word. This This is making God's word come alive in our lives and then not only praying in faith, but living in faith is what we're talking about. So in Psalm 119, you really see this throughout the 119th Psalm. Psalm 119 and verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking taking heed according to your word? Just listen. You want to be right with God? Listen to God's word, young person. You want to be right with God? Listen to God's word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. And then look at the prayer part of this. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. I've heard you. Now help me do. Let me not wander. From your commandments. Verses 16 and 17. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. God, I've learned your word here and I just want to do it. Give me opportunities to do what you've instructed me to do. To apply this in my life. Verse 32. I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. That's, that's a prayer of assumption. I, 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 in other words, I pray this a lot. God, you've said for me to do this. Please give me the strength to do this. And I know he will. If He's said for me to do it, he will enlarge my heart, give me the strength to do the thing that he's told me to do. Even when I don't have the strength myself, he will make it happen. I believe that. In verse 133 of Psalm 119 Direct my steps according to your word let no iniquity have dominion over me. Just let me do what your word has said. Let me apply that and don't let me fall into sin of any kind. And in verse 173 Let your hand become my help for I have chosen your precepts. Again, let me apply this Help me apply this. I'm going to close with a brief look at something that happens in Luke 18. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus speaks a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. We ought always to pray, we ought always to pray in faith. Faith that's based on God's word. And he tells this parable of uh, a certain city that had a judge who did not fear God, fear God or regard man. And there was a widow in that same city and the widow comes to the judge to get justice. And she says, give me justice for my, advers- for my, adversary, for my adversary. And, and the, the judge would not do it for a long while, but because... The widow was persistent, and this is another topic on prayer for later on, but she was persistent. And eventually, the unjust judge granted her request. At the end of all of that, Jesus says in verse 7, Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, although he bears long with them? I tell, you that he, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What's the implication of that question? Will, when Christ comes again, will he find his people praying persistently to God? in faith because they know that God will answer prayers that are according to his word or will he not fi- will he not find faith when he comes do you believe it does any good to pray do you believe that your prayers can change things do you believe that God will do the thing that you're praying about When Jesus comes, will He find you being a person of faith? Faith is a choice. All through the New Testament, faith is a choice. It's based on God's Word, implemented in our lives. When we have it, we live it, and we pray it. What about you this morning? Do you have faith? It's the only way you're going to be saved, is to have real faith. God wants to save you. He sent his son so that you could be saved. If you've never named the name of Jesus and responded to him, believing truly in faith that he is the Christ, the son of God, and turning away from sin, confessing Christ for who he is, being baptized in water for the remission of your sins, you can do that right now and enter this life of faith with the God of heaven. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.